Welcome to the Azure Podcast, a weekly podcast to keep you up to date on what's new on our cloud platform, Microsoft Azure. Your hosts, Cynthia Crane, Evan Basilic, Suji DeMello, Kendall Roden, Kel Teeter, and Russell Young discuss a different service or solution on each show with subject matter experts to explain how to get started, how different services work, and how to make decisions in tricky scenarios. You can find out more about our podcast at azpodcast.com or follow us on Twitter at Azure Podcast. Uh, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Azure Podcast. Um, this is episode number 459, and we're going to talk about AI ops. And if you don't know that term, we'll get into it because it's actually something that I don't think a lot of people really they use the term. They don't really know what it means. Um, we're recording this episode on uh, May 4th. So if you're a Star Wars fan, this is your day. Um, we try not to do too many Star Wars jokes. Um, and our special guest is Allison Jones. Um, and we'll let, we'll get to Allison in a little bit. Um, but for now, Sajit, what do you have for news? Hey, Evan. Uh, yeah, I've got uh, three items today to discuss. Uh, one of them is uh, regarding Databricks. As you know, in uh, Databricks, uh, if you're doing some uh, queries, uh, you could connect to a SQL server. And typically, that would have to be something that you set up beforehand. It would be like a, uh, like a dedicated SQL server. Well, now uh, you could use the serverless SQL when you connect to Azure Databricks. And so that allows you to do kind of, you know, impromptu oh, queries. So this is as, into Databricks, not into Databricks. as a destination for Databricks. Ah, okay. Right. And, uh, and this way, you know, you're only, when you, when you make those queries, you pull in the data, you're only uh, paying for the query that you make, right? Not for keeping the SQL around all the time. So it's, it's kind of connected to Databricks in that sense, that dynamic uh, serverless SQL. Uh, second one is uh, a new SKU for the Azure Event Hubs. It's the dedicated self-serve scalable cluster. It's kind of a long term, actually. Uh, but essentially what it is, is uh, it used to be that in, in you know, you'd, you'd spin up uh, Event Hubs uh, using whatever SKUs are available, which are the shared SKUs typically. The multi-tenant yes, multi SKUs, yeah, yeah. And, and and you can and you could kind of uh, spin up the you can increase the number of compute units as they call it uh, over there. But each unit itself was limited to about fifty uh, uh, fifty mega megabits per second or messages per second. Uh, uh, now with the new uh, dedicated uh, self-serve clusters, you can have. Uh, you know, much. Uh, first of all, you get full control, right? It's 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 just for yourself. It's not like you're you're sharing the, in a multi-tenanted uh, uh, approach. And so the streaming uh, rate that you you can process is very predictable, right? So if you have a real-time scenario and you want to make sure you always get that consistent uh, stream uh, capability, uh, this is the SKU for you, right? So it's the Azure Event Hub's dedicated self-serve. Each of the compute units, I think, uh, goes up to almost like 200, um, uh, 200 megabits per second now. And then, of course, you can increase that. You can have 10 of them. So you can really get very, very high scale at a very uh, well-defined level. And the third one is a new VM type. Um, uh, these are the EBSV5 and EBDSV5. These are the one new VMs that have the NVMe interface enabled. And as you know, with the NVMe interface, uh, the IOPS that you can get is like some crazy number. Super high. Yeah. 26, uh, 260,000 IOPS. 
systematic code, which uh, is is pretty uh, astounding. You know, so uh, definitely, if you have those kind of needs, uh, these are now available for in in a number of regions out there. That that number makes me laugh a little bit because I remember sort of early earlier in the days it was 500 IOPS per disk and you know if you wanted to go higher you had to do all these funky things with multiple disks and now that the numbers are just you know super super high as the technology is advanced. Yep. Um, yeah. So the two that I wanted to raise today um, is the uh, so generally available the Azure Monitor alerts. Um, this is a feature that's been around for a while, but what we've added is when you point it to a resource, there's going to be sort of a, basically a library of alerts that it's going to recommend from, um, you know, again, sort of a common thing so that you you get some sense of what you should be checking on. And it will also um, recommend potential levels as well for that. And then for um, Azure Advisor, again, Azure's, you know, yes, you pay per minute, you pay per compute unit, right, in Azure, but we're, we're all about our customers using their money wisely. And so we released Azure Advisor right-sizing recommendations so that you're not overspending relative to your resource consumption. Um, but it was always at a fixed look-back time. And so if your workload is maybe it's, uh, you know, it's sort of uh, variable on a monthly cycle, you know, or maybe it's variable on a weekly cycle, the look-back, the fixed look-back period doesn't necessarily work to get the right cycle time for you. So now you can adjust it to sort of match what your cycle is so that you get the right recommendation for that. So again, it's just helping our customers spend their money more wisely. Um, Cool, great. Well, um, so with that news sort of out of the way, um, let's, you know, Allison, if you could introduce yourself, tell us what you do here at Microsoft. Yeah, absolutely. My name's Allison Jones, and I'm the Group Program Manager for Azure's AIOps uh, system team. Um, uh, essentially, what we're doing is looking at AI ML uh, models um, and unifying that with big data to figure out how we can uh, make our operations more efficient, uh, both looking at things like pre-release deployment change management, how can we make uh, you know, what we're introducing into production more high quality and healthy, as well as how do we respond to uh, live site incidents um, more effectively so we really can automate all of that instead of having manual touches. Um, so that's just a, a brief overview of, of what we're focused on here. Yeah, and and I, um, you know, besides the fact that I know you're working to put me out of a job since I spend my time on those incidents, but um, <laughs> that would be a good thing, actually. I could go do other stuff, right? Um, the I think I, I do want to level set because we've had other guests on the past, um, you know, various services and products, and and the focus is typically on services and products that our customers can use coming from Azure. Your your area is a little bit different because your focus is on sort of how do we optimize the operations underneath. The management of the system underneath so that it ends up in a better experience for our customers but at the end of the day i, I and correct me if i'm wrong but i don't think anything you're working on directly is sort of maps one-to-one -one with a public facing service um you know that's that's uh i'll, I'll correct you a little bit there okay. there's actually uh a lot of opportunity to, uh to bring the things that we're doing to to 3p customers um okay. and we've engaged with a lot of our customers who are interested in a variety of things one for example is uh being able to consume um you know azure's health signals into their own system so that they can actually have a better view of you know how the azure the azure offerings and subscriptions that they're using are actually doing and if they're unhealthy so definitely exposing that um, that data to customers is one area we may not monetize it but it would be something that you know a customer could ingest and then use it in their own day-to-day -day monitoring systems um, the other thing that we've really seen um, and there's a, a big sort of 3p standalone ai ops industry um, that's 
sort of new, uh, you know, in the last maybe five years, uh, is being able to um, productize the platform so that, you know, a customer could actually use the models that we're using internally for their, running their own data centers, running their own applications. And so um, making some of this available through Azure Monitor um, uh, would be oh, so definitely... Oh, like anom- some of the anomaly stuff, is that sort of map up to what your team's working on? Yeah, absolutely. Ah, absolutely okay. Yeah. I didn't realize that. Yeah. I was actually, okay, my, yeah. my, my mistake. Yeah, and one area here that we've seen a lot of opportunity is really um, with AKS and being able to do troubleshooting, anomaly detection and troubleshooting um, for for containers, native containerized um, applications, because that's an area where it's difficult to traverse, you know, where the, the actual anomaly is occurring. And so um, that's, a, that's a focus that we have right now that we would expose in Azure Monitor, per, you know, in the next couple semesters, um, uh, you know, Possibly, uh, but that's an area where you could see some of these solutions actually bleeding into 3P products. Okay, and 3P, just for the audience, 3P is what we call internally sort of third-party customers. So this is customers that are purchasing Azure on top as compared to what we call 1P or first-party, which is you know services like Xbox, M365, you know all the various internal Microsoft services. Right, thank you. <laughs> no worries. Uh, so so let me, let me start with a, maybe... Um, uh, a different question because you actually, you know, we mentioned AIOps at the beginning. AIOps is sort of this big term, and and you mentioned some sort of, you know, individual examples of where you're you're seeing that capability show up. But h- how do you actually define AI, AI ops? Like, I mean, that's not in and of itself. It's not a thing I can put my hands on. It's more of a sounds like a description for some set of capabilities. Is that the right way to think about it? It is, and um, you know, again, the the term AI ops was actually something that Gartner coined, um, okay. like I said, probably about five, six years ago, uh, because, you know, we we had this uh, all this big data, you know, observability, monitoring, telemetry, um, uh, you know, was growing exponentially, especially as you talk about managing a public cloud. I mean, there's, there's you know, petabytes and petabytes, billions of time series data generated, especially with a large cloud like Azure. Um, and so managing and making sense of all the data, understanding, you know, when, when anomaly happens, uh, you know, the needle in the haystack problem mm-hmm. uh, has become a growing concern. And so, you know, we saw this explosion of, uh, looking at machine learning to to minimize or at least pinpoint, you know, through this huge stack of big data, like where, you know, you should actually be focused on instead of, you know, all these alerts that you may be getting. And so um, so Gartner actually coined this term. And, uh, you know, it's it's really that that monitoring um you know, it's service desk and then automation uh, union um, mm-hmm. uh, that we're seeing like a number of solutions out there um, being productized and, and sold because many companies are now having this problem. You know, it's it's pretty cheap to uh, to store data and to generate mm-hmm. alerts. But what you need to do with it, do with um, yeah, yeah it, it's it's more than a human could um, figure out. And so this is where AIML has been really helpful um, for companies yeah, running their businesses. Okay, makes sense. Hey, Allison, you know, I wonder, uh, we have uh, existing Azure services, right, like Sentinel and uh, Defender for Cloud, and, and that I guess they do something similar to what you just described. Uh, maybe not for uh, they're more security focused, I suppose, as opposed to you're looking at more from an operational perspective. 
Uh, I'm just wondering, though, uh, is there any kind of overlap in between uh, you know, what you're trying to achieve and uh, what these uh, existing services do today? It's a good question. I, I would assume that there's probably some AI ML capabilities baked into those um, applications. I'm not uh, familiar with it. I think the, the biggest difference um, that I would probably say is that, you know, the, the AI op solutions that we're looking at may take multiple signals. Um, they could take, you know, security type signals. They could take, um, you know, many different, they could be hardware. It, it doesn't have to be, it could be customer, you know, outside end type of signals. Um, and being able to aggregate across multiple signals and come up with different insights and conclusions where, uh, you know, Sentinel may be focused on a particular type of signal related to security and then trying to figure out within that signal. But broader AI ops solutions, really the benefit there is, um, you know, aggregating across many different types of signals. Um, I think that's probably the biggest difference. Is so, so one of the challenges you know, with data is all this data is it's coming to a lot of different sources. Um, you know, it could be coming from, uh, you know, uh, I mean, theoretically, you could be, you know, having some of your components running in AWS, you know, you have some in Azure, you've got guest level stuff, you've got platform stuff like you were talking about that we're emitting into, you know, Azure Monitor. Like, how do I get all my data in the same place to start with it or, or, or can, you know, can I use tools like, you know, the Azure monitoring, you know, anomaly detection, why not to sort of look across sort of distributed data? Like, how, how do I manage that as a customer? Yeah, it's it's probably one of the biggest challenges that we see with customers trying to, um, you know, incorporate some AI up standalone solution into their infrastructure. Um, because, you know, and, and even, you know, it's a big challenge for us as well with all these, this different, um, types of service monitors, for example, mm -hmm. you know, without having some standard set of things that have been defined consistently, it's it's very difficult to stitch together a story or stitch together, um, you know, a view of what's actually happening without some sort of standardization. So, mm -hmm. you know, one of the, uh, as you know, one of the big things that we've been focused on is we've got lots of, lots of monitoring, lots of different types of data that, that we collect. <laughs> Um, but everybody's defined different dimensions in a different way, slightly different way. And so, you know, the the thing that we really like to tell customers when they're saying we want to stand up AI ops solution, how, how are you guys doing it is you do need to have some sort of standardization in the signal if you want to be able to join uh, multiple signals across them and makes, you know, some sort of really specific or high precision um, uh, anomaly detection. And depending on where you are, you may not need a really high uh, type of precision. You could have lower like in a development environment, mm -hmm. but you'd really want to have a very high precision, uh, you know, for life site response, right? Where you want to make sure you're you're super accurate in, um, you know, the detection that's happened. And so that that's that's what I would say ingesting multiple signals, but you do need to have something that you can join um, in a standardized signal. And, and most most uh, people have not had that journey yet. So it's it's something that, um, you know, really needs to be there for the system to function effectively. And is that where like open telemetry comes in? Those standards, you know, sort of coming down that path you know, from out of that effort? Is that what you're talking about? Or is it something something different than that yeah open open telemetry is great for you know api um calls um 
And, and that's definitely one standard that would be good for, for those type of signals. Um, I think for us, we're looking at SLI, SLO as that standard signal um, because it can really cut across uh, you know, where wherever the service is in the stack, whether it's core infrastructure or whether it's a higher level, you know, sort of business application that's exposed to a customer, having an SLI um, is the mechanism that we're relying on and that we're driving teams to incorporate because it, it can transcend the stack. Uh, whereas I think open telemetry and distributed tracing is more focused on API to API. Um, okay. which is good, but that would be an additional signal that can then, you know, help understand the complete cloud health by using that and, and ingesting that into the app system. Okay. Okay. And, and, and again, for the audience service level, SLI is service level indicator, um, which is a measurement of some, you know, you know, some other piece of activity. And then SLO would be service level objective, which is your target for that. So really, if I sort of translate what, what I think I heard you describing is you, you have some target you're shooting for. And you're tracking whether or not you're, you know, at above or below that target, and that's sort of your aggregate one because that should be common across, right? You know, any service or scenario or whatever the case may be. Okay. Right, and it's an industry uh, standard sort of signal. Um, yeah. It's not something that Microsoft came up with. So any customer can uh, and go ahead and, and implement this and kind of drive to standardization with this signal today. Also, I'm curious, like, uh, how do you go about, uh, how should customers go about figuring out what kind of model they want to use here, right? When you, when you talk about doing AI ops, uh, you're looking at all this data, uh, what kind of model uh, should they be using? How do they train that model so that it's effective in, in detecting these things, right? Especially you talk about the life side, uh, that's probably the, uh, the most extreme case. So, uh, like, are, they, are there tools, are they existing tools that we have in Azure that they can use, or, or is this something that they would have to, you know, build from scratch using maybe something like Databricks, something we talked about that in the preamble to the show, uh, or, you know, just trying to figure out, like, you know, what kind of tools customers can use to, to start creating their own uh, sort of AI, AI ops model? Yeah, it's a good question. I probably wouldn't recommend that a, a, a customer go off and, and try and build their own uh, AIML models. Um, there, there's, uh, you know, we have the benefit of um, having a, a dedicated research team who uh, is looking at building and training models and partnering with, you know, larger dedicated teams like OpenAI um, to come up with you know, breakthroughs in models that can then be reused. So for us, we actually reuse uh, models that have been created by the research team, uh, but then use our own business purposes, uh, uh, you know, and, and signals. Um, but the model in and of itself isn't something that I would, I would say a customer probably wants to focus time on. They would rather have Microsoft or some AI ops solution build the model and then allow, you know, them to plug in their data um, to that model and, and maintain the model um, themselves. So, uh, you know, it it would just sort of depend on the dedicated resources, but uh, there, there's some um, 
you know, there, there would be a, a really a big uplift for a company to to want to build their own models. I will say, you know, the, the benefit of that is, you know, if you think about ChatGPT and kind of the unstructured data model that was developed there, I mean, that that's something that came out of OpenAI and has really transformed um, how, you know, you can aggregate unstructured data. We still haven't seen that on the structured data, which is more the AI ops world that we live in where we have structured data sets. Um, but that's coming. And I think there's going to be, you know, one or two research labs that can figure that out in the world, uh, you know, and, and um, it's not going to be, you know, from a, a, a customer whose main business isn't actually invested in AIML models. I'm not sure if that answered your question. But. Yeah, no, I, I think it did. I just, I just want to ask a, like a follow up on that. And, and you know, I'm just trying to understand how customers can get started in this, right? So I know, like, for example, if you spin up a... Um, you know, an ML workspace in Azure, right? Using Azure ML. Now, one of the models out there is a regression model, right? You could use, and so that comes to mind as something that you talked about. You know, doing regression detection. Uh, you you kind of feed it a lot of data, past historical data, and then it, and then as you looking at the current data, it'll figure out if you're going below or above those thresholds that you talked about. Uh, so I'm just, uh, I guess that was my question: uh, is uh, you know, are there existing uh, tools to to help us so our customers can get started on it today? I mean, obviously, not all customers have the luxury of uh, dedicated uh, research team like we have, as you said, uh, but they all have the needs uh, uh, that you described on uh, about about they have their own Azure workloads today and they want to detect if things are uh, you know uh, going doing well with those workloads uh, and. Uh, is so if this is something that we're planning to eventually bake into the system as a product or uh, or, uh, or provide uh, some sort of uh, guidance on how uh, customers can do this themselves. Yeah, absolutely. And this kind of goes back to the original question on, you know, uh, are we just internal facing or are we also going to expose something to, to customers? And there's definitely an opportunity um, with what we're we're building for Azure to make that available to larger customers, and there's there's an ask um, there. There there are some standalone AI ops products um, that are out there today uh, that customers can also purchase and implement and put them in their own infrastructure if they wanted to. Um, but uh, definitely, that's something that uh, we are looking at as well. How can we you know expose and productize, you know, the models that we're using internally that we have sort of proven success running cloud scale operations. How can we make those available to customers? Um, that's definitely something that, you know, is a, is a possibility and opportunity for us. Where, so we, we've been talking a lot about sort of in getting the data in place and, and good and bad strategies for that, you know, as well as, um, you know, alerting off of it and, and triggering, you know, either notifying a human or whatnot, but there's once you alert, you have to do do something with it. What's the what's the typical mechanism that that we that you recommend people look at for sort of responding to when an alert goes out, where you don't like you let's say you know what you want to do, like maybe I want to restart that machine or whatever. Do do we recommend people you know go use um, Azure Automation? Do, you know, or is there uh, you know is there capabilities built into um, monitor? to you know go trigger some action like how what, what do i do okay great so i threw an alert but i still have to do something with it what's what's that side of the experience look like yeah it's a good question um i think today we internally we have our own custom incident management right. system yep. um and we've standardized across microsoft uh 
for the most part, every every business unit in Microsoft uses ICM for managing alerts, um, incidents, outages. Uh, that's definitely something that we would recommend a customer invest in. Um, we don't have a system today that Microsoft offers as a product um, that does this, but there there are some uh, big names. ServiceNow is is mm-hmm. one of them yep. that a lot of our enterprise customers use. And so standardizing on some sort of a incident management system is a critical step to this. Um, if we did not have that internally, to Microsoft, uh, we wouldn't be successful in the AI ops effort. That would be too fragmented of an experience. And there's a number of benefits, um, you know, to having that standardization. Uh, so that would be the biggest recommendation, I would okay. say. Okay. Just on that, I would just uh, had a, 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 an alert to look at one of my services that's hosted in Azure. It's a public facing service that uh, is hosted on the Microsoft subscription, so I get these alerts to, to kind of take action on them. And and, and I noticed that um, the Azure Defender for Cloud um, service does have some of these capabilities where, you know, they kind of uh, itemize all of the findings and then you have to, you know, you, you have to assign people to them and kind of go and check off that you've, you know, you've, you've addressed the, uh, the alert. Uh, so there's some sort of rudimentary uh, facility seems to be available in Azure Defender for cloud uh, is what I noticed today. So, uh, I mean, you know, yeah, of course, uh, products like ServiceNow and all are uh, top notch in these uh, in these spaces and they they do very well. But uh, I think, you know, if customers just want to get uh, something quick going, uh, that might be one place to look at. Yeah, I think Azure Service Health and the built-in alerting there is a good first step. Um, what we've heard from customers, though, is that they really want to have a holistic system that that marries, you know, what their alerting systems internally um, and then add what Azure is pushing. So for the most part, I don't think our customers are looking heavily at like what we surface up in Azure portal and even at the alerts themselves. They, they want to ingest that into, you know, a system that they have, which is probably ServiceNow, uh, so that they can look at it, you know, in relation to anything else that might be. Um, happening in their applications that are that are you know on-prem applications, right? Like a lot of customers are still very hybrid, and so the cloud is, tells one story, on-prem tells another. They want to see the whole picture, um, which wouldn't be available in uh, you know Azure Service Health or Azure Portal today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we've actually had some Arc folks, um, Azure Arc folks, on that. What they would. You know, they, they look at a little bit more broad, but it, it, you're still only sort of getting data from those systems um, across it. it. You don't you don't necessarily have the control plane side of it that we do on the on the Azure piece for sure. Um, no, this is this is great, Allison. Um, uh, uh, so, oh, I do have one question. Sorry to interrupt. I, I just want to understand from, uh, you know, if Allison can share from a scale of compute that is required to run these AI, AI ops, right? I'm, of course, you know we don't want to uh, reveal any uh, anything that we shouldn't be revealing on this show. But can you give us an idea as to like you know how much uh, uh, what's the scale of the compute required to kind of run these AI op systems? Is it like you know hundreds of CPUs, VMs? Like yeah, I'm, I'm just curious like how how intense is this whole system? You know where we can be ingesting data, we're kind of processing it in real time, trying to come up with some Talk sort of desk, analysis. Right here, it's right it's, over it's here. It's a little <laughs> so little box on the desk. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good question. You know, the AI app system itself um, is is fairly small. It's pretty inexpensive service for us to run. Um, I 
I would say that the cost of running the observability pipelines um, and the size and scale of actually collecting the telemetry, I mean, they do a lot of processing on the data before it even gets to the AI app system. Um, that That is is huge, right? And so I would say the bigger cost is on the observability telemetry side um, rather than the AI app system itself. Um, but I don't have exact numbers uh, um, but you, you, know, but you kind of get the massage data by the time you get it. It's already been kind of filtered and, and, and formatted and whatnot. So it's 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 in a clean state where you can just quickly run your uh, your models on it at that time. Yes, I mean more or less. Um, but yes, there's been a lot of processing done on the the data um, before it gets to us. Yeah, health health evaluation. There's a health system. There's you know. Um, uh, the monitors are, you know, hundreds of millions of monitors are evaluated every minute uh, on the pipeline side. That's what I was wondering, like, uh, just the number of signals coming in, like we talked about Event Hub just coincidentally just now, and, you know, how we need that it, it kind of ingests all these events coming in. And I can imagine, like, uh, at least when I've done this with other uh, customers, uh, you know, they're... Uh, there are like 20, 30,000 messages per second or something, you know, or, event or signals per second is what they are monitoring. Uh, and this could be log data. This could be, of course, activity logs and things like that. Uh, uh, what's the, I'm just trying to figure out like the scope of, of uh, you know, what you have to deal with. Is it uh, like how many signals per second are we talking about? Is it like uh, a thousand, 10,000? Well, I mean, again, on the telemetry, the collection side, it's it's billions of time series yeah. per minute. Um, okay. So the collection is is very large. I think the um, when we're we're not going to uh, you know put that into an AI ops system. I think by the time right. you know we that the data has been processed, stored, and processed, we're looking at thousands of anomalies per day, maybe hundreds of gigabytes per day um, in the AI. So, and you wouldn't want to have anything more than that. It would just be noise. Um, uh, and then from that, you know, which ones are actually actionable? You know, there's probably, you know, millions of uh, auto operations that happen per day, whether it's create an incident or, you know, some other action, a communication. Um, you know, some sort of a routing that might occur, uh, but the collection is the biggest, the biggest part, especially yeah. for Azure scale. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think you, I think Sajid, part of what when I think about your question is, that, you know, we we end up pushing a lot of this off to the individual services, right? The SLI SLO piece we were talking about before, right? The service does all, has all its own telemetry and own signals, and then it's going to emit. You know, it's probably an oversimplification, but sort of one metric to to you know to the AI ops layer to say, hey, yes, we're you know we're above SL, SL we're above the the target or we're below the target, you know, and here's the target. But it took a lot of work just to even get to that one, and then multiply that times all the services. It's yeah, these are the I don't even want to yeah. think about. Um, I have heard some numbers. I'm not going to quote them here, but I, the the numbers I've seen quoted for the the size of the Custo clusters some of these teams have to run. That alone is bigger than than some customers' bills. It, like those yeah. those numbers are gargantuan, yeah. yes, for sure. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> and also, you, I mean, you know, all the data can still be used. It's just having that, you know, standardized signal um, has been, yeah, the the biggest sort of uh, tipping point for our success in being able to land the AI app solution here. Great, awesome. Thank well, you. no, that this is this is great, Allison. Um, I appreciate you. You know, sort of adding some clarity to that, right? Like we talked about before, it's a really murky term, but but there are some actionable things people can do today, right, to leverage it. 
Um, any last thoughts or comments that you want to leave the audience with? Um, you know, just so we we do uh, publish um, quite consistently um, blogs and and uh, articles on some of the models that we're we're training and building here and how we're using them internally. Um, it's a little bit piecemeal, uh, but if you're really interested in sort of the tech, um, there there are a number of resources that I can you know provide yeah, we'll as well as. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah, as well as Mark Rusinovich's blog, um, he, you know, I think once every couple of months uh, likes to, to post on some of the AIOps things that we're doing internally. Um, it's really a collaboration across multiple teams inside Microsoft because there's a, a large AIOps team also looking at M365. Obviously, Bing, uh, you know, has a, a fairly large team. Um, so, uh, you know, if, if anyone's interested in that space, uh, Microsoft does you know, is participates in community events and does blogs. And, um, you know, there's several of us that are like to geek out on the tech part of it as well. So I'll share those with you. <laughs> yeah, no, great. Appreciate it. Again, thank you very much for coming on. Thank yeah, you. thank you. Thanks. Bye, folks. Thank you for listening to the show. If you have any thoughts, questions, or just want to connect, find us on Twitter at Azure Podcast. Background music has been taken from ccmixer.org under the Creative Commons license. We hope you'll tune in again soon to keep learning with us.